You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss and my guest, David Jakes. After recording this podcast at South by Southwest EDU in Austin, Texas in March of 2018, I decided to go back to my blog and figure out when did I meet David Jakes. In a post called The Pods Are Coming, BLC 2009, where I share a presentation I did about personally owned devices and how that they're on their way and here to stay, I found this little excerpt that I'm going to read to you. At lunch with Darren Carapodua, David Jakes, and Dennis Richards during the pre-conference EduBloggerCon, I had a conversation where thoughts and ideas were challenged in meaningful ways. This was my introduction to David Jakes, and I have to say that I'd love to spend more time with him. David is a thoughtful listener who asks challenging questions with the intent of having a deep conversation. Where this really showed was his willingness to have his own opinion changed by responses in the conversation. I'd swap any professional development experience for conversations like this. And I can tell you that the upcoming podcast, David does not disappoint. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Two interesting things to note right now. First of all, David makes a lot of references to links and and resources that uh, I think are worth uh, going and visiting. And so you can find those on my podcast site, podcasts.davidtrust.com, and just search for David Jakes. And one other thing to mention is uh, Jeff Richardson joined us for the conversation, and I really appreciated it because he asked some really wonderful questions of David Jakes as well. And so you'll get to hear a little bit more from Jeff Richardson in a later recording that I did. But without further delay, I give you David Jakes. I'm sitting with David Jakes and Jeff Richardson. We are at SXSW, South by Southwest, EDU. And I uh, would love to hear, first of all, tell me a bit about who you are and what you do, David. Um, David Jakes? How's that? That's a good start, That's right? That's an uh, excellent start. Uh, yeah, my background's in, in public K-12 education. Uh, I spent some time working in architecture. I was a third teacher plus. Now I independent consultant and freelancer working with uh, organizational change efforts and um, focus a lot on learning space design, uh, particularly classroom redesign, maker spaces and libraries. And Jeff? Um, Jeff Richardson uh, from Hoover, Alabama, and I am an instructional coach working a lot with technology in a one-to-one system with uh, Chromebooks and um, just have some passions in the area of uh, the devices and digital citizenship and uh, ethical use of technology right now and then also just seeing some big changes uh, in the way we do school hopefully uh, creating environments for kids to um, not only engage but be empowered enjoy what they do enjoy learning and want to come to school Whatever that looks like, I'm for it. Nice. And and David, when I I think when we first connected, you were working in a very large high school. Yeah. And you had a you had quite a unique position for what a decade ago. So could could you start there? 
Yeah, I worked. You know, I worked in a large uh, suburban Chicago school district, um, or at a large big school, twenty six hundred. I think it's more like three thousand now. But uh, I was instructional technology coordinator there and had wonderful opportunity to uh, work with with great people, large faculty. I was in charge of the library, and so that's where I got interested in design. That's where I got interested in spaces. Um, again, I spent twenty seven years doing that. And uh, you know, I had a great opportunity to work, go work with a third teacher plus, so I jumped ship out of education and, and uh, took advantage of that, and here I am. Yeah, describe the third teacher. It's a really neat... Uh, the third teacher, uh, the, the book The Third Teacher was written in 2010 by Canon Design, by Bruce Maw Design out of Toronto, Canada, and VS Furniture. Oh, we're sitting in VS right now. Um, and that, in 2011, they gave rise to the third teacher plus practice. Uh, which was uh, a design consultancy inside Canon Design, which is an international design firm. And I joined in, in 2013 uh, and worked there for, for two years. And, and the predominant idea there is the... Yeah, the, the space, the, sp the whole idea behind the concept of the third teachers, there are three teachers of children. It's a Reggio Emilia belief that there are three teachers of children, meaning adults, uh, parents, and teachers. Uh, peers and space. Important concept in the way it's relevant today, besides obviously the three teachers, is that it really focuses that it elevates the importance of space in terms of how we educate kids and how they learn and provides a much more conscious focus on uh, why we need contemporary spaces to help kids learn. And how's that influenced what you're doing now? Well, you know, it's, it's helping, uh, you know, the work that I do now focuses on, on helping schools see that and, you know, realizing that, that, that you know, my focus is, is helping schools create educator designers that, that consciously every day take in a, into account the role that space plays in the design of experiences. You know, when you're, when you're in a six, five, six by five grid, 800 square feet of six rows by five seats and steel frame desks, you don't put that in the forefront. You don't. There's not a lot you can do with it. The space has a lot of inertia, so it's difficult on a daily basis to think about it about it because it's so immobile, so inflexible. And how does that space really contribute to the kids' learning? And and so there's an opportunity to, to shift that, shift the, the 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 question around space and how it serves learning. As schools are beginning to realize that there's spaces that are legacy spaces, I might call them. Uh, are no longer suitable for the kinds of skills and dispositions we want kids to develop. So my work focuses on helping schools address that and prepare for that, engage in that, uh, develop creative solutions to that with, with spaces in their budgets, and then helping teachers really explore the opportunities for, for shifting their notion of the roles that space plays in learning and in teaching. And we chatted earlier, and one of the things you were talking about is that, that idea that um, oftentimes the goals aren't always aligned with what what uh, schools and districts actually want. And well, I think I think in a lot of cases, you know, uh, it's you know what I used what we were talking about is is most schools sort of are looking at gradual improvement, you know, continual improvement, looking at an updated version of their current conditions. And the question the question that I have for schools is in my role as a a provocateur is to is to um, push on that and say, you know, how might we rethink that, and how might we create different kind of conditions that are beyond your current mindset and frame of 
how you see education and think of education. So speaking of spaces, we just had to move spaces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's doing yeah. this the conference, right? Yeah. One of the other things that, uh, you know, I'll only bring up one other thing we just discussed earlier was you were talking about uh, designing uh, an education for jobs that have not yet been... Yeah, you're going to push my button on that, yeah, right? Please thanks do. A lot, thanks a lot for yeah. that. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think, you know... One of the, if you look at our current spaces, they're designed obviously for a different era. That won't surprise anybody. And that's an industrial uh, model where the importance was transferring information because the school, school is where you came for information. You know, obviously the, the web and the internet changes all that and technology changes all that. So, uh, you know, we're pre preparing kids for the workforce, you know, to get jobs. and. Uh, you know, so the current version of that is we're preparing kids for jobs that we don't know uh, that if, what what jobs exist yet. <coughs> Sorry. And so, you know, when you think about it, we're still embedded in this mindset of of workplace readiness. Yes. And I don't think this the jobs of schools, whether in America, or whether you're in America, or wherever you may be, is is preparing kids for jobs. I mean. You know, in the context of, of the United States, you know, and I'll, you know, since we're in Texas and the U.S., um, you know, the, the role of schools, American education was designed to uh, sustain and promote and develop uh, literate and participatory citizens to sustain American democracy. At least that's what I believe. And uh, to prepare kids for the, uh, uh, a job in the workplace, I think misses the point. Uh, prepare them for something larger and, and something that's, much, you know, the elegance of education is that it, it, it takes people's lives and shapes them. And, and so are you shaping them to, for a job or are you, are you shaping them for something larger and bigger than themselves is literally the, the question at hand. And so, you know, it's not about preparing kids for a future of jobs that we don't know what they'll be. It's preparing for them for a life that we're not, we're not quite sure of what, what that, that will be. And there's a huge difference between the two. And so, uh, yeah, I get a little, you know, this, the college and career readiness, I think is, you know, and workplace readiness, I think that's lowball. And, and people may disagree with me on that completely, and that's, I'm fine with that. I think the education is, uh, has to have a higher focus and a bigger purpose than getting kids into college or getting them ready to go to work. Um, just, just my thoughts on that. I, I agree with that. I also think that oftentimes what ends up happening is we refer to those skills as soft skills. Oh, uh, that's, and, that, and that's I'm bu not a, button number two. I, and that's a button with me too, so you go ahead. <laughs> well, I, soft skills doesn't resonate with me at all. It not says at all. Soft to me implies that they're not important. Yes. As opposed to what, hard skills? I, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, the soft skills of whatever, what, how do you define soft skills? What are they? Well, and that's the piece where I, I disagree with, with the idea of what of using that term as well, because yeah. I think uh, this, this, I think the soft skills that are described as soft are actually the skills we actually want students to have, yeah. and and they're they're the key skills, if anything else. Um, that idea of uh, being articulate, problem solvers, um, people who are um, resilient. I mean, th these are components that. I have a real problem with the idea that there are anything soft about them. They're actually hard to transfer. 
very challenging. Um, and they need to be intentional. And there's nothing really soft about them in my view. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about uh, like persistence and things like that, those are dispositions, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does. We teach kids how to read, and that's a skill. But if they never pick up pick up a book again and read beyond school, then we've failed them in the sense that we've not created this disposition of a love of reading. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you're when you're looking at a true education, a education that has meaning and a value, and you know, that higher purpose I alluded to earlier. It's, it's an education that fosters those dispositions of, of learning that is experienced across, a, all, across literally a lifetime, uh, that, that has a breadth and depth of experience that provides a richness to life and how, how people engage in the world. So we've kind of covered a little bit of it, but if you were to say, what's one thing that just absolutely has to change right now in education, what would you say it is? Oh, it has to change is, is um, oh gosh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, but I would say that, you know, I think the, the thing that has to change is, is uh, a better ability to be more creative, a better ability, ability, ability to ideate and create ideas, a willingness to step beyond the current and now into something that's perhaps... Uh, creates a more contemporary kind of vision for what takes place in schools. Uh, the notion that, that school now is that school is and should be limited by the four walls of a brick and mortar experience is is sort of a foreign concept to me these days. And that that I wonder why schools don't engage in more community based learning. You know, we, we have these things called field trips where we we scurry out and go to a location and we scurry back to the safety of our of our four walls and and that's our, our community engagement. That's our experience with the with quote unquote the real world. And by the way, that's button number three for me. Uh, the real world. We're teaching kids for the real. There's no more real world than schools. Schools are reflective. All you got to do is turn the TV on and see what's happening with the schools. That's real world. So you know, I think it's a, a bigger, broader, more concept of of being and what what schools can accomplish, and the dimensions of that of that experience in terms of beyond. Uh, the simple, you know, campus idea, the uh, revisiting and, and rethinking what a campus can be and should mean, and literally is learning everywhere, uh, independent of time, space, and place. So, I think that I'll start there. Yeah, I like that independent of time, space, and place. Yeah, you know, so so we have we have boxes, right? The first big box is school, and then inside that box you have you have schedule which puts kids in other boxes, which means that they have to go for 15 minutes to another box called a classroom, where they learn inside of another box called a unit. And where then, you know, so it's, it's a series of boxes. And so, and to break down boxes, you know, it's, why do we have units? Why is that? I don't understand that. You know, and I taught for, you know, I was an educator for, I get the unit idea. It's a container. So stop having so many containers. And so, and so what would happen if we didn't have containers and allow kids to learn in different kinds of ways where they didn't have to, you know, the worst thing, and to be honest with you, when I'm in school, back in schools, the thing that freaks me out the most is the bell schedule. Yeah. When I hear the bell. And once you get desensitized to that, you know, you don't hear it anymore when you're in schools. But once you are away from it and working outside of the context of the school, all of a sudden this bell rings. No one works or learns like that. When there's a bell that tells you to have to go somewhere else to learn a discrete, containerized subject. 
our, our second year at Inquiry Hub, my custodian was trying to fix the, the public announcement uh, system and accidentally turned our, our bells on. And we didn't know how to shut them off. And it was just amazing to watch people cringe. And what was really neat for me was the teachers cringed as much as the students when they heard these bells going off. It was such an interruption in what they were doing and we couldn't, we couldn't get them stopped fast enough. So what do you think needs to change? Well, I just want to add, just kind of ask and get your thoughts on, um, so when you go in and work with the school, obviously spaces are the big thing that they want to talk about, but schedule is really a key factor in how they operate, right? So how do you, like, how do you get that conversation rolling? I mean, I'm thinking about our district. We're, it would, it's a great idea to think about really tweaking schedules or going to a system like what you guys have, and you're in a unique situation at your school. Um, but in the, av- you know, if there is an average um, American school, you know, how do you address those is- issues of scheduling? I mean, there's there's going to be constraint, right? I mean, we, we deal with things like from eight to three and, and, and transportation for kids. So if is it? Do you work within that eight to three time frame, or do you? Are there are there other ways to think about it on, on scale? Right. I mean, you're dealing with a very small scale, yes. small student population, um, and those are great examples. And, and sort of we can see the ecosystem work there. But how do we move that? Because a lot of people would just push back and say, Yeah, but that's too much. We can't. We can't do that well, for a whole system. You know. Yeah, so. I got a couple of answer, a couple of ways to take that uh, answer that question. And, and so my question for you is, Why is eight to three important? You know, and that's another box, right? You know, when I was in, when I was, uh, last school I was in, I managed a library, and the librarians put up a sign that said the library closes at 4 o'clock. Made them take it down. Because the library never closes, because we had a digital presence. So, the physical library closed, the digital library didn't have to. So, it's about a shift in mindset there, and that's the first thing. Second thing, the constraints... Constraints, uh, designers love constraints. Des- uh, constraints are, are things that paint the picture of the landscape of the design. And, and it's really important to understand and know constraints and what are perceived to be limitations. Designers don't see constraints as limitations. They see them as opportunities. Opportunities to be creative and design their way through, around, above, and below and, uh, constraints. So when you say, we've got the buses that have to leave, Okay, at three o'clock. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe there's a different way to handle that, and we get creative about how we address that. Uh, the, the final, the final thing is, is that it never starts. The question in the conversation never starts about um, about schedule. Just like it never starts, like uh, going into work around learning spaces, never starts the conversation around spaces. Uh, it starts around the experience that you want for kids, and so with regardless of, of your current schedule, your current this, X, Y, and Z, it's important to ask the questions of what do you want the student experience to be? And when, I, when those kids walk through the doors of your camp, into your, into your school and your campus, what do you truly want them to experience across the timeline of a day? Start there to def- define that and then say, what schedule will best suit that and do we need to reframe the schedule to support that kind of experience. Do we have, we have new kind of spaces that will allow us to support that kind of experience? So it's, the schedule is a thing. Classrooms are a thing. Furniture is a thing. And so it's not about focusing on things. It's about focusing on experience first and then focusing on things. 
One of the things that uh, we applied for a, a prize called the Smolik Prize, and one of the questions was how does how does your innovation scale? And one of the things that I, I looked at was well, yeah, in a in a large school, you're not going to go to um, necessarily to having your students. You know, we, half of our students are off on any given moment, being self-directed, and if you try to do that in a school of you know, 1,200, that could be a real challenge. Uh, just the noise alone could be a huge challenge. But one of the things, and I think that, I think it's possible, but when you're looking to scale it and move up, I think one of the things you can do is look at, well, what, what subjects can you combine so that you're no longer working in a limited, say, 50 or 70 minute lesson, but actually you're teaching a curriculum where you're putting the humanities together instead of the English and socials as separate. And then having assignments that, that can work within there, having two teachers team teach. Well, you're trying to, buy, to break down that. those boxes. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to break down Just the boxes. Just break down the boxes, yeah. right? Break down the boxes, yeah. And so then the other thing I suggested was, well, in a two-block period, actually give the students uh, an online course that's actually a blended course as a third. <laughs> And what that does is that frees up the, t the teachers to actually have more time to collaborate as teachers in one class. And so, because that teacher now has a prep another time in the day. And, right? and, and that's so, when you get into some interesting ideas because what you're doing, you have a design question, right? And what are all the potential ideas that we can put on the table that might address those constraints or that direction forward? And then it's about saying, okay, let's put some of those ideas into a prototype and test it. And, and if it doesn't work, it's not a failure because we've informed ourselves. We're going to go back and iterate. Yeah. Iterate. The design cycle has that built in right? until we continually improve, until we get uh, arrive at a solution that makes sense for everybody and it's, it's doable and workable. So. And, and when you do that, you can implement other ideas, like you said, because now you know I've got those kids all the way till lunch. Let's let's go into the community for the morning, and they're not missing any school. Mm -hmm. You know, you can actually start your day at a library or start your day somewhere else in the community, and not ruin the schedule for other teachers that are in that schedule to create that space. So I, I don't like asking what needs to change without asking another question and that's what, what's, what do you see that's happening that's, that's really positive? You know, what are we getting right right now? Uh, well, you know, one of the things um, that I think it's always important to remember is about the fundamental role of schools. And, you know, there's a quote from the hip hop, you know, classrooms Classrooms, when you, when you watch TV, you'll see how classrooms are structured. You, any commercial will have the typical kids in rows, and we all know what classrooms look like. And when you ask teachers about that, they'll, and kids, they'll describe classrooms as you'd expect. Rows of desks, teacher in the front, whiteboard, smartboard, whatever it might be. And so, you know, one of the things I always talk about is the, the first step in redesigning the classroom is to discard the notion that it has to be a classroom. That being said, this is what we get right. And I'll refer back to uh, the Hip Hop Ed Manifesto. Okay. If you've never seen the Hip Hop Ed Manifesto, that. go look it up. Right. The last line of the Hip -hop, Hip Hop Ed Manifesto says, the classroom remains a location of possibility. And it's a beautiful, elegant statement. The classroom remains a location of possibility. Because that says it all, literally. It says, regardless of where we've been with schools, where we are going with schools, there's a lot of good things that happen in classrooms. And the reason for that is because we're committed adults that want to help kids show up every day, to help kids that show up every day to learn. And so what we get right 
is that timeless interaction of adult and, and child or student and have that human connection that, that is, means everything for kids and the growth of kids, children into adults. The time-honored role that schools play in the, in, the, in the growth and development of children into adults is, is what we get right. Mm-hmm. And that's my answer. That's nice. And I, yeah. think, I think that's uh, what that appeals to, where that appeals to me really is the idea that uh, the value of the teacher when you make the shift from the rows actually becomes, the teacher becomes more important in creating that experience and that opportunity for students and, and providing those learning opportunities. Agreed. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, from a, from a more, you know, kind of being in a classroom more, seeing the teachers who are willing to take those risks, um, some of them older teachers, but have been have have figured out for themselves that they're allowed to take those risks and I work with great administrators who allow the teachers who really encourage that but some of them are are um, you know fearful or whatever is, is holding them back but the ones who do um, find that exact thing that you're talking about that that they're more empowered as teachers they realize the moment the kids go from that sort of um, like Bill says, from from engagement to empowerment, and they really get excited about their learning. That success fuels them to that next risk, that next okay. Whether it's something I came alongside them and encouraged them to do, or something they thought of um, on their own. I had a teacher the other day who sent me an email and said, "Hey, um, uh, I'm I'm." doing a Google Hangout with one of our elementary schools that was on Read Across America Day. And so she, she sent the email. Well, I didn't get to the classroom until she was finished, but th- I had no idea this was happening. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of falls in the sphere of what I do, right? And so a lot of teachers, if they were ever going to try that, they would solicit my help first. The fact that she went off and did this on her own, A, she felt like she had license to do it. She didn't have to have my permission. Yeah. I don't say, I'm not saying it that way, but she was so excited and she shared it. And that became like she wanted to share that story with the rest of the school and she said I had no idea what I was doing but I knew the kids would help me figure it out and so we helped figure out a better way to set that up the next time she wants to do it but that's now in her toolbox to to expand the walls of her classroom to realize hey we can use what our kids are doing to talk to some second graders and hopefully that will empower some other teachers to step out and realize hey I can connect with other classrooms. You know, it's not just about what goes on in here. But it, and it wasn't even so much the activity as it was the motivation behind it to try something different. It was a bit scary. She could have tried to connect and the microphone couldn't have worked or whatever, but she didn't mind that. And I think that's a hallmark of a teacher who is willing to get out there and say, let's try this and see what it does for the kids. Because there wasn't really anything in it for her. Um, and that's what I think we're getting right because there's a lot of teachers doing that kind of stuff and then I like to come alongside them and encourage them to tell that story to the person across the hall or in the other middle school that you know that will then begin that sort of ground up change that we want to see because that doesn't take a whole bunch of new furniture that doesn't take a rearrangement of the schedule those are things that we can do now exactly Um, and a great point and the big systemic change needs to happen, right? We all know that it needs to happen, but 
I got to go back to work tomorrow, you know, like. But by doing that, you're building momentum towards that, right? Sure, sure. You're building energy for it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's amazing too. I, I love I love using this metaphor because it, or this example, because that's a perfect example of kind of getting over that fear. Where I've never heard uh, I've never heard any teacher walk away from a photocopier not working and say mm-hmm. I'll never use that again, yeah. right? Yeah. And yet, as soon as a technology, you know, as soon as the microphone doesn't work, it's like oh, this is ridiculous, and it's just that's this. It. That I mindset switch of, of that teacher being able to, you know, take that same fo- photocopy idea and go, well, okay, it didn't work, or, I, you know, how can I yeah. make it better next time? That, to me, is the exciting part. But I think, I think what he's talking about is, is a shift from risk-taking to strategic risk-taking. Ah, uh, like that. And so, because the teacher's more, you know, so teachers don't, no, no, no people, no one likes to take risks. I mean, risk inherently, that's what they call risks, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so... You know, you're in there as an instructional coach, right? So that's a strategic risk. I've got support. I'm more willing to, to take that risk because I've got a partner in a safety net and a strategic partner that can support my work, and we're in this together. Anybody's going to be more willing to jump into that, that, that situation if you have that kind of situation. So I think in schools, you know, a really critical thing is how do we move from a, a, a culture of risk-taking to one of a strategic risk-taking, where there are supports, where there are guidance, where there is a, a, a administrative uh, permissions for those kinds of things. And, it's, and it's, it's communicated, it's well-known, and it's part of the culture is that, you know, we expect you to, to take risk, but we've got things that will help you mm-hmm. to do that. So it's not the big leap that it necessarily has to be. Yeah. And I think one of those structural things as leaders is how do you create the collaborative time? So it's, you, you don't necessarily need the coach coming in, but you've got teachers who have time in their day to actually have those conversations and, and the, the leadership to, to make sure the, there's intent behind those conversations. Yeah. Give me, as a close, uh, you do a lot of really great consulting work. What's a... What's a school or a district or that you're working with where you see that those changes are really positive? And uh, I would, I would, I would, uh, you know, focus everybody to take a look at the Waukee School District in Iowa. It's W-A-U-K-E-E, um, and look at the Waukee Wilk W-I-L-C. Um, it, they've got some some really interesting things going on. Uh, just in a nutshell, they've got a, a, a second high school. And it's, it's, the Wilk is, uh, I forget what it stands for, but it's an innovation center. What they're doing is uh, they've got, uh, as a junior or senior, you can pose a research question. The research question has to be based in five, one of five curricular strands. They're all focused on the Iowa economy or the greater Des Moines economy. You propose a research question. One of them is like, I think it's bioag, and there's some, there's four others. And so um, the kids get to pose a research question. The idea is to grow Iowa talent, develop Iowa talent, keep Iowa talent in Iowa, and fuel the Iowa economy. It's, it's a really broad and important goal. But what they're doing is the kids will spend part-time in the traditional high school, part-time with a business industry partner, or part-time at the, at the, at the new innovation center. It's 70,000 square feet. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, there's actually gorgeous space. So, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a shift, you're looking at kids that spend time in a traditional high school, and that's fine, but they also have the, the opportunity to spend time either at the new innovation facility or in the business school par- partner's location. So now we see a shift from 
school to school as community, or community as school, I should say. And so the kids are traveling throughout the Des Moines area to go to school. And they've got over 500 business partners now. When we wow. designed this space a couple of years ago, they were concerned about whether or not they would get any business partners. And what they've created literally is a knock on the door. Uh, said people standing in line to participate with young adults that, that have things that they want to explore that have meaning and have value to them, but also to in a larger context to, the, to Iowa. And so that's a terrific program. Tim Cook was there in a, a couple months ago and said it's the future of American education. Uh, there are other programs very similar to in Minnetonka, Minnesota, likewise. And well, since you got me on that, you should go see Minnetonka, Minnesota, because they have a program called Big Ideas Hunt. It's the best program I've seen in innovation uh, for innovative schools in the U.S. It's, um, they send out, uh, they, they request ideas at the beginning of the year. Those are vetted by the teachers, sent back to teachers, they're vetted. Uh, and there's a couple iterations uh, of that process and they come to a distillation of five or six ideas, I think it is. And then they give, they give that group whatever supported that or came up with the idea. Funding, they keep it lean and mean like a startup, make it be creative. And if it gets traction, then they fund it. So and that's a real quick perspective of it, but see, check out the Minnetonka, Minnesota Big Ideas Hunt because it is a model for the rest of literally any schools and how you really structure, bubble up, teach your own innovation within a school district is terrific. So those two, Waukee and Minnetonka. That's awesome. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Thanks for having me. I appreciate can, can, it. Can oh, I that's ask awesome. One question? Please, yeah. So um, let's say I'm a teacher. Uh, I know you deal with a lot of big ideas and you, you work with these districts and whole school systems, but... If I were to, if I were a teacher, just asking you, what can I do tomorrow with the space in my classroom? Um, what What are some suggestions? And I know they're going to be questions. What are some good questions that could be asked of a teacher who's who's wanting to change, who's wanting to move in this direction, but no, they're not getting new furniture. No, there's no room in the budget. No, they can't take out this back wall. And they they have what they have, right? But they yeah. can work within. What are, what are some good questions? Well, uh, all right, so if you, if you want to improve your spaces tomorrow, okay, uh, there's some do's and don'ts. The first thing I, I want to encourage you to look at is look at your walls, okay? Look at your walls and um, declutter. Please declutter. Take stuff off your walls, you know, the, especially uh, any elementary education teachers that are listening, please declutter your walls. Every square inch doesn't have to be covered with something. And so when you look at the cognitive research that's going on with overstimulation and, and, and uh, cognitive load theory and things like that, it says that the kids don't benefit from, from that. So decluttering is one thing. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we, where are your learning surfaces in your classroom? So for instance, you know, can, a, can a wall become a learning surface? Uh, can you, there's a Sherwin-Williams product that's, that's inexpensive, it's clear. Paint the tops of your desks if you get permission and make that a learning surface. Uh, that's one thing. When you walk into the when you walk into your classroom, does it say you or does it say kids? It's it's the invitation and say so. If I walk in, does it say is it about you or is it about the kids? I mean, the, the things in the wall are the celebration of learning. And I'm a big fan of of having of a teacher wall, of a student celebration wall, of of a writable wall, things like that, or or something that, that takes that surface and turns it into a, a creative studio. You can build a, uh, a, um, a simple wooden shelf 
along a wall. It doesn't cost anything. But now it's a stand-up cafe type kind of thing. Uh, look at the colors in your in your in your. You know, there's. I, I can't. I can't handle any more beige. Okay. Hashtag beyond beige. So we got to look. <laughs> we got to look at different colors. So so how do you create an accent wall of a different color that's that's age appropriate? Because it, because depending on the age, there's different colors that are appropriate uh, for kids. Um, also, take a look at the space that you you have in your, um, you know, when you look at the research, and it actually comes from, I think it was VS, and, and my own work confirms this, is that teachers take up probably probably about 30% of a classroom. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how can you, how can you get rid of the teacher bunker, uh, and how can you reclaim that space, and can you put in a, a conferencing nook or something? And so we want to encourage teachers to be more agile, more nimble, more 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 have more movement in classes. And so you know, let's let's reclaim some of that space. Um, the other thing to look at is, and I'm going to point you to a resource. Um, go to Edutopia, or go to YouTube, and type in Edutopia, the third teacher, mm-hmm. and you'll see three videos of of how to reclaim a high school math classroom in two days with a thousand dollars and it's a complete transformation of the class and takes takes you through the design process required to do that uh, they did that before i joined the third teacher but there's it's filled with great ideas and solutions on how you can take a, a legacy kind of space and, and reshape it and recraft it in something that's much more contemporary and useful oh and what not to do what not to do ah that's important what, too don't go to a garage sale, do not, do not, please don't bring a couch into your classroom. Please don't do that. Um, and so I see a lot of that. It's, it's, you know, people say, ah, I got a couch over the weekend. My classroom's now a learning space. No, you're, it's a, it's a classroom with a couch in it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean it's a learning space. The problem with it is that, that all furniture that has to be in schools is fire rated as a fire code. It has to satisfy the local fire code. So, you know, we want flame retardant furniture. Okay, uh, the big thing that obviously you know in fires that kills people is smoke. So furniture that's created for schools doesn't have the same kind of smoke that you're, if it caught on fire that other furniture would have. And the toxins that are released by that, if it should burn, are not the same kind of things that are released uh, by normal furniture. So. Uh, don't bring in thing. I, I've seen people uh, say bring in picnic tables in the classrooms. That's like bringing kindling to your classroom. Uh, I see all kinds of pictures of kids sitting in in big tubs that you might get at a big box hardware store. Don't do that. That's not good for their posture. Uh, I see people putting up drapes. Those those are just like a Roman candle. Should there be a fire, don't be the teacher that that creates a space that that um, is a danger to kids. Uh, is the key thing, and so be very careful what you bring into classrooms. Be careful consideration, because the fire marshal will will have a conversation with your administrators, and then the administrator is going to have a conversation with you, and you don't want to have that conversation. So you know, do your research, do your homework, ask questions, ask your administrators, ask ask, bring in the fire marshal and say, what can we do? You know, because you can't put furniture in the hallways a lot of times because of, of hallways of egress, you can't block that. And I, on all my uh, my travels, I see a lot of a lot of furniture in hallways that would block uh, egress during the, or during an emergency. So you have to be cognizant of that, and you know, start small with small wins and and things, and and look at Minnetonka because they've got a design for learning uh, program where where they've set up 
uh, a team that actually goes in and works with teachers on on small wins and simple things that they can do in the classrooms. Um, and it's very effective because they've crowdsourced, so they've tested it, and they've seen what works, and then, and then they, what they do is expand on that. And so it's, it's about giving kids the opportunity to stand, about to sit in different locations, about reclaiming space, about color, about, about writable surfaces. And those are all good things. And you can always see davidjakesdesigns.com, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll be making sure I've put uh, links to everything you've talked about as well as uh, to your profile. And oh, by the way, you can also learn yeah. a tremendous amount by going on to the furniture sites, mm -hmm. the furniture company sites. They do, if you go to Hayworth, you go to Steelcase, go to VS, everybody that's listening to this should go and download Bodies in Motion, Brains in Motion from VS Furniture. Okay. You'll never look at a chair ever again the same way in the way in which a chair allows kids to fidget, allows kids to, the, uh, the body to open up and the organs uh, work more properly, or open up the ability to take in more oxygen, which in influences brain activity, which influences the ability to concentrate and cognition. A simple chair you'll never look at. So there's, if you look at the, the furniture companies, they're in the business of selling furniture, and they've done their research about how their, how their furniture and how spaces impact learning. So I'd encourage you to do that. Also, one final thing, sorry, I keep rambling. Keep going. Go, go online, type in third teacher flashcards and you can get the 79 ideas and a PDF of the 79 ways in which design, space, and learning intersect. And you can get some great ideas for your classroom, how to improve those. Uh, you don't have to buy the third teacher book, but you can get the flashcards that will give you the same. I've got the third teacher book. I got yeah, it quite go. a while ago. It's, it's excellent. Thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it. Thank you. And Aaron. Jeff, I'm going to have a chance to talk to you another time awesome. as well. If you enjoyed learning with me, independent of time, space, and place on this podcast, please remember to give it a like. Thank you.